Now I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15, Exodus chapter 15. And while you're turning there, I just want to relate to you just a little story that goes back to the late 19th century, early 20th century, when Europeans were doing some study of plants and animal life in Africa, and they were trying to uh, get a hold of some animals, capture some animals so they could study them. And they learned from the people of Africa the best way to trap a monkey, and it was to get a jar, uh, connect that jar to a tree or something solid, with a rope, and then in the jar, you would put um, fruit or nuts, and a monkey would come along, put his hand in the opening of the jar, grab that fruit, but when they made a fist, they couldn't get their hand out of the jar. And so they would just hold it. Even when the people came, they might get nervous that people were approaching them to capture them, but they wouldn't let go of that blessing they had in their hand. And so that blessing became a burden and became an obstacle for them. In our journey with Jesus, a blessing can actually become an obstacle. Good things happening in our lives. Prosperity can become a hurdle in our journey from where God has us now to where God wants us to be. We've been talking about the nation of Israel and their journey from slavery in Egypt to the promised land as they were led by Moses. The occasion of what we're looking at today occurred about 1,500 years before Jesus was born. We've looked at this journey so far as Pharaoh finally said, get out. <laughs> We talked about the excuses we make become an obstacle that we need to overcome in our spiritual walk with God. We talked about opponents we face need to be overcome. Last week, we talked about the dead ends we come to as we talked about the Red Sea. And today, we're going to look at the blessings we enjoy and how they can actually be an obstacle in our journey forward with Jesus. And as we look at Exodus 15, we're going to look at this thought today. The deepest satisfaction in life comes from focusing more on the blesser than the blessings. A lot of us spend about 90% of our time gazing at our circumstance and 10% of our time glancing at God. But we need to gaze at our God and glance at our circumstances got to get our eyes on the blesser and not just on the circumstances where we are looking at our blessings or a lack of blessings. That becomes a distraction and even the good things God has for us can become dangerous things that cause us to stumble in our journey with Jesus. In Exodus chapter 15 and verse 20, uh, or excuse me, in Exodus chapter 15 verse 22, we're going to look at several stories here in chapter 15, 16, and 17 that occur where God blesses his people, but they end up grumbling. They go from a cycle of blessing to bitterness several times here. Now, if you've got your Bible, you can open it to Exodus 15. If uh, you have a mobile device, you can use a mobile Bible app or just Google Exodus 15. You can join us in verse 22. The words aren't going to be on the screen. I'm going to move through them fairly quickly so we get a sense of this story kind of from the macro level. Verse 22, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. Now that's quite a statement right there. <laughs> They've just crossed on dry ground. God destroyed the Egyptians. They're free God has blessed them. Verses 1 through 21 of this chapter is the first song or psalm in Scripture, and they're celebrating and praising God for His goodness and taking them across dry ground through the Red Sea as He parted the waters. And they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, "'What are we to drink?' Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. 
So three days after this great celebration of praise and worship, God is good, three days later, they get thirsty, and we read in verse 24, they grumbled. Because the water they come to is bitter. Mara means bitter. But we believe this is more than just taste. We believe they knew that this was diseased water, bad water would cause them problems. And so they can't drink it. And they panic. Now, I think the context implies that if they'd just gone up over the next ridge or just turned the next corner, if you will, around a mountain, they had something special. God had something special planned for them. Verse 27, then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. They come to the 12 Springs 70 Palms Resort <laughs> in the middle of the desert. It's got places where they can find shade. It's got water, fresh water. But, but they get anxious with God. They've just seen God take care of them with this great Red Sea blessing. But now they, they are complaining and, and we're thirsty and, and they feel like they can, cannot trust God. But God allows the water that was dangerous and diseased and bitter to become sweet for them. And then he allows them to spend, we believe, about three or four days at the, the 12 Springs 70 Palm Resort. We read in chapter 16, verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out for Elim and came to the desert of Zin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. That means it's about six weeks, 44, 45 days after they left Egypt. They've had the Red Sea experience. The bitter waters, dangerous waters turned healthy and sweet. And now they're in the desert and we read in verse 2, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. It's grumbling again. This word grumble has the idea of you kind of whisper it to yourself and it just sort of stirs up in you that it gets out loud and you start to complain to others. The Israelites said to them, if only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. By the way... If you go back to the early chapters of Exodus, when they're under slavery, which they've been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord brought Moses to take them back to the land of Abraham, the land of their forefathers, the land God was to bless them with. When you hear their cry to the Lord when they're being enslaved and how hard it is, they talk about starving and, and they don't have anything. And so in this place where things are difficult because they're hungry, they glorify how great the past was. And they complain. And then we read in verse four, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go each day out and gather enough food for the day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Then he goes on to explain, and they see some more grumbling here mentioned. He goes on to explain that what is going to come to them is food daily. He's going to take care of them with this food. Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat. You're going to have a great feast today. I've heard your cry. I'm going to provide for you. And in the morning you'll be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. I am going to bring you bread in the morning. We give you a great feast tonight. I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to worry. I'm going to make sure you have the water you need. I'm going to make sure you have the food you need. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. So the quail come and they just fall on the ground, and they can just get them, and they uh, eat the quail. They have this great feast. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. 
When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared to be on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it is, what it was. Verse 31 of chapter 16, the people of Israel called the bread manna, which means what is it? <laughs> They're clever in their name, right? What's this stuff? Let's call it, what is it? Manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. This is incredible. They wake up the next morning, just had this feast of quail. They wake up the next morning, there's this bread-like substance on the ground. It's like wafers. It tastes like honey. And in the ancient world, honey was like candy. So it's the sweetest thing they can imagine. And it's there in the morning and it's there for their taking. And God tells them and instructs them that what they're to do is they are to go out and gather this manna in the morning. It's gonna come every morning for them. They're to gather it and um, they'll have it six days. You can't keep it overnight, so if on Monday you get some and you're worried, maybe God isn't gonna give you your daily bread tomorrow, you're, you're kind of panicked, how can we trust him? And you try to keep it overnight, it's gonna be full of worms and rot and maggots, so you can't keep it overnight. But on the sixth day, he's gonna give them double will fall so they can keep some of it for the seventh day, because the seventh day was the Sabbath when they're to rest and focus on him and worshiping him. And so God's gonna provide them on the sixth day, two days worth, and he tells them, you don't have to go out on the seventh day because there won't be anything there. And so guess what some of them do? <laughs> on Monday, they try to keep it overnight for Tuesday. They open up their manna jar, and what's there? Maggots and rotting and nastiness. <laughs> some of them go out on the seventh day looking for it, wondering where is it? The Lord says to them, if you just follow my instructions, just walk with me, you lean into me, I'll take care of you. God says that to us today too. If we'll walk with him, lean into him, walk in obedience to him and his word, he'll take care of us. Verse 35, the Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled, the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So in their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, every morning, six days out of the week, there was manna on the ground for them to pick up and eat. Can you imagine if you were born, you know, and you go into the land, and you're like 35, and every day of your life, except for the Sabbath, there's manna on the ground? Talk about our daily bread, right? Even the scriptures talk about Jesus being the bread of heaven. Manna is such a picture of Jesus and his provision for us. Can you imagine when they got into Canaan, the first time those 35-year-olds are like, wait, where'd the bread in the morning thing go? Where's the manna stuff? You'd think they'd be extremely content with this blessing. Then we read in chapter 17 and verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Zin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Goes beyond just grumbling now. This idea of quarreling is the idea they're making accusations and deeper blaming and and they, they're complaining. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty, verse three, for for, were thirsty for water there. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? They keep saying Egypt was so much better. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, I love this. What am I to do with these people? No offense, but sometimes I've prayed that as I've led Calvary over the years. <laughs> then Moses cried to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile. 
and go, and I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock with water, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. So they're thirsty, they're complaining again. God says, take your staff, hit the rock, water will come out, water comes out. They're blessed again. Then if you read verses 8 through 13, the Amalekites decide to attack the Israelites. Oh, just what we need, right? But God blesses them again. He tells Moses to go and to hold up his staff and his arms, and as long as his arms are up, the Israelites will have the advantage. But if his arms come down in the battle between the Amalekites and the Israelites, if his arms come down, then the Amalekites will have the advantage. He needs to keep his arms up and the staff up. And he gets so tired, they bring him something to sit on because his legs are getting tired as the battle's going on below him. And then Aaron and Ur come, and these two leaders with Moses, they hold his arms up, and they actually win the battle as they trust God, and God provides for them again. But there's something interesting in Exodus 15, Exodus 15, 16, and 17 about how they allow the blessings to become a burden and it becomes bitterness for them. And I dare say that many of us, not all of us, but most of us are blessed people. We're prosperous people. We live in a, a nation, after being in Uganda just a couple weeks ago, I'm reminded of how blessed we are in this nation with, with so much good and, and resources. And then in our community, particularly, this is an area where a lot of us are blessed. I know some of you are going through some stuff. Some of you feel like you're not blessed. You feel like you're not prosperous right now. But by and large, we are a prosperous and blessed people. And I think the prosperity that many of us have experienced has gotten in the way with our, in our relationship with God. Because we get caught in this same cycle that they're caught in. Well, what does this cycle look like? Here's this dangerous cycle that we see in chapters 15, 16, and 17. It's a dangerous cycle of blessings to bitterness. Blessing to bitterness. We begin with the blessing. God blesses us. God blessed them. The Red Sea parted. They got bitter water, dangerous water turned sweet and healthy. They get quail for a great feast and then manna, bread coming for them every morning for 40 years. They get water from a rock, the Amalekites, and all these things, they, they go forward, and with the next challenge, it's like they forget the good hand of God and the blessings themselves get in the way. God wants us to enjoy. See, there's a stage where he blesses us, then he wants us to have enjoyment, and they did enjoy, they celebrated. But then we get complacent, we get apathetic. We get used to having that blessing, that level of affluence or influence. We get used to our comforts. We get comfortable. We get complacent. Then we get into this sense of entitlement. I deserve. We begin to demand from God. This is the way my life should be. I'm missing this blessing that somebody else has. I deserve this. And we get entitled. Then we become disgruntled. We complain. We grumble. We begin to say, oh, it was so much better back when. It was so much better before this. I don't know why I even have God in my life, because before I had God in my life, things were so much better, and we glorify the past, we complain, we start blaming people like they do with Moses. And it becomes a, a place of bitterness in our hearts, a place of bitterness. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that we've got to guard against the root of bitterness getting into our hearts because it'll rob us of the satisfaction, the joy, the peace that God wants us to experience. Again, I know 
there are some people who are going through some tough stuff today. But by and large, as a group of people here at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California, in early 2024, we are a blessed and prosperous people. But my fear is that some of us are being distracted by God from the very prosperity we have, the very blessings he's placed in our lives. The 19th century evangelist Deal Moody said, we can handle affliction better than we can prosperity, for in prosperity we forget God. We forget God. It's very easy to get to the place that we're so comfortable, we get complacent, we get entitled, and we just forget God. Let me suggest that's a dangerous place to be because you won't find real satisfaction, meaning, purpose, joy, and peace in life. So let me share with you then four things that will help us to stay satisfied with the blesser rather than focus on the blessings. How to be satisfied with the blesser, God himself, rather than the blessings. So that when the blessings come, we don't keep our focus there, but we look at the good hand of our God and we look at him. We fix our eyes on Jesus. How do you interrupt this Blessing to bitterness cycle. Number one, recognize that blessings can test your faith just as much as trials. Blessings can test your faith just as much as trials. Sometimes we think God is only testing us. We go through difficulties. When we're having a bad day, when we're going to the doctor's office to get the test results, or that God's testing us when we're going into a meeting at work that's not going so well in terms of we know that meeting is not going to be a good meeting. We think, God's testing me. Well, he could be testing you in those things. But we're often tested by the prosperity he brings into our lives, the blessings. About 40 years after chapters 15, 16, and 17 in Exodus, 40 years later after they've wandered around, Moses is moving off the scene. Joshua is going to lead them into the promised land. And Moses gives them a final word. And part of what he says to them before he departs, goes to be with the Lord, he wants to challenge them. You're about to go into a land. You're not going to be wandering around, living in tents. It's going to get even better for you. And we read in Deuteronomy 8, 10 through 14, the words of Moses. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, most of us live in fine houses, not all of us, but most of us. And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God. You'll forget the blesser who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He gives them a warning. By the way, they don't heed the warning. About a thousand years later, God is bringing judgment on them. So they've turned their back on God and brought in all kinds of other gods. And about a thousand years after Moses gave them those final words before they went into the land and challenged them not to forget God, Hosea, the prophet, in Hosea 13, four through six, a thousand years after Moses, as we read it from the New Living Translation, he quotes God, and God says, I have been the Lord your God, speaking to Israel, ever since I brought you out of Egypt, I took care of you in the wilderness, in that dry and thirsty land, but when you had eaten and were satisfied, you became proud and forgot me. This cycle is something that they kept repeating, and I think for some of us, we've gotten into this cycle as well. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul challenged his mentee, Timothy, as a pastor to challenge his congregation. I've, I've struggled with some of these words because if I did what Paul said, a bunch of you would be mad at me and leave. But he says, 
to Timothy when you're dealing with your congregation, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The next verse he says, teach them to be generous. Every time I try to teach people to be generous, I get a lot of people unhappy. Because we get so comfortable with our blessings and our prosperity that we get our eyes on what we have or don't have in terms of the blessings. We get our eyes off the blesser. I love this quote. I've used it before and I'll use it again. Most Christians pass the test of adversity but fail the test of prosperity. Most Christians pass the test of adversity but fail the test of prosperity. Several years back, I had a woman I hadn't seen in some time here at Calvary come up to me in the lobby, and she said, we're back. I said, oh, great. I'm so glad you're back. I mean, what happened? She said, well, you know, the family was doing great. Things were going good. The company was doing well. And, and so things were just really great. And, and she said, but we're back now because now we've got some challenges, and the company's struggling, and our family's got some issues, and, and, and now we need God. Literally, this woman said to me, now we need God. It, was, it just kind of was so stark to me that we only need God when we're desperate. We only need God in adversity. I dare say we need more, God more in our prosperity because our prosperity can become an idol. Our stuff, our blessings be, can become an obstacle in our journey forward with Jesus. Let me just say something to those of you who today are joining us online. Those of you who are joining us online, some of you have good reasons why you're online and you're not here. But some of you, it's a time of prosperity and blessing, and you think, I don't need God right now. When things get tough, maybe we'll go back to church. Maybe we'll engage again. During times of prosperity and blessing, we need God just as much as times of adversity and struggle and difficulty and pain. We encourage all of us, whether you're online or in the room, lean into God when the blessings come. Don't step back. Lean in deeper to God. It'll help you prepare for the challenges ahead so you won't be caught up like the nation of Israel in, in going from one blessing to then it becomes complaint and murmuring and, and disgruntled to another blessing to complaint to break the cycle by recognizing that blessings can test your faith just as much as trials. Secondly, don't assume you deserve God's grace. Don't assume you deserve God's grace. If you deserved it, it would not be grace. The word grace theologically says God gives us what we in no way whatsoever deserve. That's grace. God gives us what we don't deserve. Paul kind of summarized what grace was to help us not miss it in Romans chapter 11, verse 6. Since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by good works. You can't prove yourself worthy of grace. Grace is given to the undeserved. It's not given for merit. It's not given for achievement. For in that case, God's grace, his goodness we don't deserve, would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. Don't get entitled. I deserve what she has, or he has, or they have, or I deserve what I had 20 years ago, or, or 10 weeks ago. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. And we come to God with nothing. 
And he gives us, as the scriptures say, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Ephesians 2, Paul told the Ephesian church so clearly, even in terms of our relationship with God, it's not about how much character I develop, how if my good outweighs my bad, or I do enough good things to measure up to some standard God has for me, because we'll always fall short of that. So Paul said to the Ephesian believers, for it is by grace, God's undeserved favor, you have been saved through faith. You've been given a relationship with God as you expressed your faith in Jesus. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's insulting if someone gives you a gift and you say, how much was that again? And you pull out your wallet. A gift is meant to be given to you because it's a gift. Salvation is a gift. He says, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love that passage because he, he, he talks about how we have a relationship with God by grace, through our faith in Jesus who died, was buried, and was raised for us. I don't establish a relationship with God by being good enough or developing character or giving enough to a church or a cause. I don't develop a relationship with God. I'm not given a relationship with God because I'm better than other people. Many forms of Christianity and most world religions say good works are the requirement for a relationship with God. Good works are the root of a relationship with God. But God says, no, this is a gift I give you in Jesus. You can be forgiven of your sins and have life now and forever in me because of what Jesus did. And so good works are not the requirement of salvation, but once someone comes to Jesus as Savior and God begins to change them and turn them, verse 10 says that then the good works come out of the life. It's not a requirement. It's the result of salvation. It's not the root of salvation. It's the fruit of salvation. Some of you may be trusting and coming to Calvary enough. Maybe you're putting up with enough Thornton sermons that you should be allowed into heaven because you went through that. I don't know what it is you're trying to stack up or measure up, but I'll fall short, you'll fall short. It's simple faith in Jesus. If you're here today and you haven't placed your personal faith in Jesus, we'd love to help you. I'll be in the lobby. I can speak with you. We can have another pastor chat with you. We have our care team down front after the service. They'll pray with you about any need, but they're there ready pray with you about trusting Jesus. And if you're in the room, you just got to communicate with someone or you're online, you can't be here to greet, meet someone in the lobby or down front. We have a very simple way you could just right now communicate with us and we'll follow up with you. And that is to text the name Jesus. Just put Jesus in the body of the text and send it to the number 58568, the number below me on the screen. Just text the name Jesus to 58568 and we'll connect with you and follow up with you and help you know that you've received that gift that free gift that is a part of God's grace. Do that today. Receive that grace. And let me remind you, as God's children, we are not only saved by grace, God's goodness, but then we walk with him in his grace. He empowers us daily by his grace. He transforms us by his grace that we do not deserve. And yet many of us find ourselves with complaining, disgruntled, discontented hearts. Someone has said the person with a discontented heart has the attitude that everything he does for God is too much and everything God does for him is too little. I hope that's not you because you're being robbed of the satisfaction and joy, the flourishing as a follower of Jesus that God wants for you. So how do you stop this blessing to bitterness cycle? How do you find your satisfaction with the blesser rather than the blessings? Recognize that blessings can test your faith just as much as trials. 
Don't assume, assume you deserve God's grace. If you deserved it, it would not be grace. And thirdly, cultivate a proactive gratitude, not simply a reactive gratitude. A proactive gratitude, not just a reactive gratitude. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is in 2 Chronicles 20. Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah face their three worst enemies who've come together to defeat them. They don't know what to do. They cry out to God. What are we going to do? We've got to go to battle. They're going to attack us tomorrow. We've got to meet them in the battlefield. In that era, when you met in the battlefield, really up until the, the U.S. Civil War, it was, all wars were fought in close proximity. It was basically you run down in a valley, you slice and dice, and whoever isn't sliced and diced the most wins. Pretty brutal. So they know they're going to face their worst enemies and, and they're going to be overwhelmed. They cry out to God. And God says, I'll tell you what, you do like you normally do. Get the soldiers ready. You get ready to go out to battle. But usually you put the choir and the singers at the back. I want you to put them in the front. What, I'm sure uh, Josh and Hannah and Scott, who are, are our staff worship leaders here, uh, I'm sure they'd be thrilled if we said, we're going to war and you guys are going to be up front. But God says, you put the singers out front and have them praise God as you march up to fight, but align yourselves to fight and then just stand still and watch what I do. And as they proactively sing praise to God, they don't know the answer to their problem. They don't know that God's going to cause those three enemies to defeat each other. But God does that and gives them the victory that day. Sometimes we need proactive praise and gratitude to God, not reactive, not waiting for the solution. And then, and only then do we thank God. Psalm 118.24 says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Can I challenge you, if you're a follower of Jesus this week, take that verse. And maybe the sixth time you hit the snooze, or you hit the thing off the, the bedside table, whatever, whatever is the thing that gets you up in the morning, before your feet hit the ground, can I encourage you this week just to stop and say, God, I thank you for this day. I praise you for this day. They say, but yesterday didn't go so well. Thank him for today. Do that each day this week and say, I'm going to praise you throughout the day. And then in all circumstances through the day, before you open the door to go in that tough meeting, before you walk into that doctor's office to get those results, before you have that conversation that's tough uh, with your spouse, just say, God, I, I, I praise you and thank you, even before I see the outcome of this. Because you are God. I've got my eyes on you. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say in the circumstances that are good for you, then thank God. He says in all circumstances. So each day this week, before your feet hit the floor, just say, good morning, God. I praise you and thank you for who you are today. Thank you for this day. And then when you're in those moments about to enter into something or arrive somewhere, you're driving somewhere that maybe is difficult and hard, praise him before you even figure out how that's going to work out. Praise him and thank him. We need to cultivate a proactive gratitude, not simply a reactive gratitude. Fourth and finally, look for what God is about to do next through his people and in his way. You know, once you understand, okay, God may use actual blessings to test and grow and stretch my faith. I can't demand of God. I don't deserve his grace. I need to remember that his grace is a gift. It's a joy to be. I need to keep my eyes on the blesser. And as you cultivate a proactive gratitude, not simply a reactive gratitude, then get on the edge of your seat and look for what God is about to do next. That's, that's one of the other things in their wanderings is they, they don't anticipate that God's about to do something great or that God will work it out or he'll open the Red Sea or he'll turn those waters sweet 
or water can come from a rock because they look at it from their perspective. But we've got to put our trust and our faith in the blesser and not rest our satisfaction in the blessings, the lack thereof or the presence thereof. Isaiah 43, 19, the prophet Isaiah communicating the voice of the Lord says, see, I am doing a new thing, God says, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. They couldn't see it. A thousand years before Isaiah, they couldn't see it. But God was doing something. He was leading them somewhere and he wasn't gonna let them flounder or fail, but they'd have to trust him. Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. From the moment you receive Jesus as your Savior and you're born into his family, to the moment you're in his presence, God has a plan. We've talked about it before. It's to mold you and make you more like Jesus through the good, the bad, and the ugly in your life so that you can live and love like Jesus in this world. Others can see Jesus in you. And that will bring you the deepest satisfaction as you walk with him. From the moment you receive Jesus to the moment you're in his presence, God is working something, even when you can't see it. When the nation of Israel didn't understand, God had a plan for them. He was working it from that place of slavery to the place of being in the promised land. And in your life, God is working something. And you can be confident that he is going to carry that out to the moment you step into his presence. But the key here is to make sure you understand that your eyes need to be on the blesser, not the blessings or else you'll get caught in the blessing to bitterness cycle. It'll rob you of the joy, the peace, and the satisfaction God wants you to experience. Let me ask you, are you focusing more on the blesser or your blessings? Are you focusing more on the blesser or your blessings? Some time ago, I heard about the mother who took her nine-year-old son, who was a pretty active kid and a go-getter kind of kid, and she took him to the candy store, and he knew that at this candy store, even if his mom didn't buy any candy, the guy who owned it had a jar of Tootsie Roll Pops, and he always offered you one Tootsie Roll Pop. And uh, so he knew even if his mom didn't buy anything, he was going to come out of there with one Tootsie Roll Pop. They got to the counter, and the man took the jar of Tootsie Roll Pops and put it down to where the nine-year-old boy was, and he's standing there, and the man said, go ahead. Take, take a handful. And he got really quiet and he looked down and just kind of mumbled. And, and the mom was surprised what happened to the outgoing go-getter kind of kid. And he's just kind of mumbling and looking down and his hands are in his pocket. And the man says, well, let me get you one. And he reaches out and he gets a handful and the kid opens his hands and the man drops it in his hands. They get in the car and he's counting his Tootsie Roll Pops and smiling. He's all energetic again. And mom said, what happened to you in there? Usually you would just reach in and he said, I realized that his handful was bigger than my handful. <laughs> Sometimes when we're so focused on the blessings that we have or don't have, we're going for our handful. And the God who knows you and loves you and wants you to walk with him, his handful is a lot bigger than your handful. And he wants you to experience joy and satisfaction and peace and the good, the bad, the ugly of life but you have to keep your eyes on the blesser and not be consumed and focused on the blessings. The way to do that, I think this week, the, a real practical thing is to follow Psalm 118, 24, and just every morning before your feet hit the floor today, hopefully it's not you that hits the floor, it's your feet, but <laughs> before your heat, feet hit the floor, stop and say, God, I don't know what this day brings, but I'm gonna praise you and thank you in it. And then throughout the day, choose to give thanks in circumstances before you even see them resolved. And watch God 
bring a deep satisfaction into your life than when you focus on the blessings you're robbed of. Father, we pray that we would learn to live lives of gratitude, even as we sang earlier. We pray that our praise would lift up you. We've got so many reasons to lift you up in praise. And yet, we get so focused on what we have or don't have, what other ha others have that we think we deserve. We get caught up and get complacent in what you have given us. We get entitled and we begin to get disgruntled and a bitterness sets in that robs us of our joy. And it often robs us of the joy that you want in our relationships here, not just our relationships with you, but our relationships every day in life with people around us. I pray for those who maybe have gotten caught up in their prosperity or their blessing and have drifted away from their relationship with you. May this be a great reminder to lean in to you, God, to get their eyes on you, the blesser. I know it's easy for me to get caught up in what I have or don't have, the blessings. Help me to have my eyes on you so that I can experience the satisfaction, joy, and peace you want me to have in this life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for showing me your grace. Thank you for loving us and showing us your grace. May you be glorified in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.